0: You are listening to The Pursuit of Yoginess with your host, Rudy J. Welcome to The Pursuit of Yoginess Habits and Hacks Guiding Your Post YTT Success. I'm your host, Rudy J, here to help navigate your pursuits as new yoga instructors. Welcome back to another episode. Today we are joined by Katherine Bruni-Young. Her yoga practice and love of movement began when she was quite young in one of Toronto's very first yoga studios. Years of practicing and teaching yoga led her to numerous repetitive strain injuries until the age of 22 when she realized she needed more functional strength. She met movement teacher Ido Portal, who helped spark an interest in different types of strength training, including gymnastics and bodyweight movement. In 2014, she became a serious powerlifter, winning the 2015 Ontario Provincials. Studying functional movement, she was able to identify the reasons behind the weaknesses in her body and how they were contributing to her pain and injuries. Her approach to her practice is called mindful strength and combines mindful attention with strength mobility, and functional movement. A self-titled mover, educator, and creator, she aims to empower students to feel confident in their bodies regardless of their age, size, or skill level. She teaches workshops, seminars all over the country, runs her own teacher training program, teaches on the faculty alongside four other Canadian programs, runs online courses, and is currently writing a book on mindful strength. If that isn't enough, Catherine also hosts her own podcast called Mindful Strength. She is all over social media. She is such a wealth of knowledge. And we discuss her journey, the steps and all of the different trainings that she's taken along the way. We touch a little bit on body image and how that is such a... Um, a prevalent trend and topic in the fitness world. I get to pick Catherine's brain. She was so amazing to just pick her brain and to just bring her on here um, and to kick off some more incredible content. So let's welcome Catherine to the show and stick around at the very end. I will reveal our new Kardish product of the week and your chance to win the big bundle. All right, guys. Let's welcome
1: Catherine to the show.
0: Catherine, welcome to the pursuit of yoginess. How are you? hmm
1: Thanks for having me. I'm doing pretty good.
0: This is like you're on the other side of it.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's so funny. So I um, have my own podcast, and whenever I'm about to interview someone, I feel so nervous, and yeah. I don't I don't have that same nervousness when somebody's interviewing me, which I find so funny. It is
0: so funny. I still I still get a little nervous too. Um let's talk about your journey and give the listeners a little bit of an insight as to what you do and specifically, I'd love to touch on all of these different paths that you've sort of taken throughout your journey and how they kind of all influence your offerings now.
1: Okay, so <laughs> I started doing yoga when I was a kid um, with my mom my mom. Owned, -owned, co-owned one of the first and largest yoga studios in Toronto. So I grew up in Toronto practicing with her and her business partner and doing some work with Richard Freeman and just all kinds of yoga instructors. Um, And I did that exclusively probably for around five or six years. So I had previously been um, a gymnast for two years as a kid. I had done dance for a lot of years. I always really liked movement and athletics. That was always a big part of my life. I felt like a super active kid. Um, But when I got to the point where I didn't want to be competing anymore, then I got more into yoga, and it was just so readily available, and it seemed um, like just the most normal thing in the world because my mom was doing it all the time. And, um, so I did that for a number of years and I was like super dedicated, um, to that practice. All my friends did their practice. It was just my home life, my community, my friends. Um, and it just seemed like the most normal thing in the world to be doing like Ashtanga yoga six days a week. And, and it was great. And I I had a good time and I learned a lot about like dedication to a practice and I learned a lot about just this idea of having a practice, something that you go to, you know, almost every day and it's good for you and a little bit of time for yourself. And then after a number of years of doing that, I was in my early 20s, I was probably around 21 or 22, and I was starting to feel like my body was beginning to break down. And I was really confused about that because I I felt like at that point I had been told like do you this yoga practice um, this is all you need for you know physical and spiritual development and health and this is kind of like the the cure all and um, I was really confused as to why like my lower back wasn't feeling really good and why my knees were not feeling really good and. Um, I stumbled into a gym one day, like kind of out of the blue, a friend of mine told me I should go take this class at a gym and I went to go take it. And, um, the teacher was, Ido portal, who is now like no way. traveling all over the world. Super so casual. Was, yeah, this was, this was almost seven years ago. And so I had never heard of him. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know who he was. I didn't know anything about movement practice outside of yoga and he was the coach and it was a two hour workshop and I literally like had no idea what I was going into. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I went into the gym. I didn't even have running shoes. Like I went into the gym (laughs) in my bare feet and like, let me just tell you this was before like barefoot culture was a thing Mm -hmm. and like everyone had running shoes on. Um, And he really blew me away. He blew my mind Um, I was very obviously like the odd one out. I (laughs) had never hung from a pull-up bar since Mm. my like 10 year old gymnastics days. Um, I had no idea what he was talking about. So I stood out and, um, he kind of like poked fun at me a little bit, but Mm. I thought it was really funny and we, we got on really well. And, um, then I continued to work more with him over the next two years Mm -hmm. when he was still coming to Canada. But that was really the turning point when I started to realize, like, okay, my body is really good at these things, but then at the same time, my body is really inefficient and ineffective at these other things, like lifting something up, mm. um, running, jumping, basically anything other than yoga poses. I had become really, really good at yoga poses and um, really not so good at everything else. And so, because I was such a physical, kind of athletic, young person that's that really stuck out at me and it and it kind of bothered me a little bit. And I was just like, oh, maybe this is part of why my body's not feeling so great. Mm -hmm. And also the injuries, I mean like at this point I'm kind of calling them yoga injuries just to like make it a little bit more clear. But at the same time, like my injuries were not acute. It's not like I was in a pose and I went too far and then I injured myself. Mm -hmm. And so the repetitive strain injuries are harder to really put your finger on. It's harder to really tell like what's doing it and what's okay and what's not. And um, when I started lifting weights and doing some body weight training and then eventually more weightlifting and other types of movements, those those repetitive stress injuries started to go away really quickly. Like I could tell within two or three months that – and injuries I had were gonna completely disappear. And I was just like, oh my goodness, this is insane. Like my hamstring, Issues, my hamstring tendon issues, and my lower back pain and my knee stuff. And then I, I started to like go back in to teach my yoga classes because, of course, I had been teaching all of this time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I go into my yoga classes and talk to my students a little bit, and they'll be like, "You know what? I have this like nagging pain right in my <laughs> hamstring." I'm just like, "I know about that one. Like, and here's what I've been experimenting with, and this seems to be really helpful. And like, I literally have no idea about like." yoga injuries anatomy anything but like this is what I've been doing and it's been helping and it's not that extreme so like maybe you should give this a try Mm -hmm. um and that's how it really began and that's how it's it's turned into what what I do now which is like a blend of strength and mobility movements um but I'm also getting more and more into like non-linear movements and more coordination and agility and like mental games and Mm and stuff like that which I just think is really like fun and exciting and, and a different way to work with people mm-hmm. yeah. so, so I'm curious I'm c- a little bit about
0: when in the midst of all of this shift did you take your holistic nutritionist like when did you go to school for that and mm-hmm. then and then your actual undergrad where did that kind of fall in all of this
1: Okay. So I have, I do not have an undergraduate degree. Hmm. Um, I went to school for holistic nutrition pretty much right when I was done high school. I finished high school. I can't remember. I guess I was like 18 at that point. And then I took a year and a half off, um, because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I kind of like hated school (laughs) and I was not one of these kids who like loved school. And so uh, like, my cousins who were kind of like sisters to me at that point, um, they were like going to like university and Mm. had all these like very high academic aspirations. And I really felt like I did not have that as a young person. And so I took a year and a half off. I worked at my mom's studio and, um, then I decided that I wanted to do a little bit more learning in the holistic nutrition course seemed to be a good fit because I was into yoga and like just being healthy and stuff like that Mm. um and then I took that program and and it's I mean it's a really short program so they call you a nutritionist at the end but it's kind of like a 200 hour teacher training like Mm. it takes I mean it's a little bit more than that um it took me two years to do the nutrition course um but I really did not feel at the end of that that I had the information that I needed to actually go out into the world and Mm -hmm. I um I, I think I saw like two nutrition clients and they were both my yoga students. So I kind of already knew them. Um, and then I made the decision pretty quickly that I did not feel comfortable really working with people on their nutrition. Um, and I also made the decision at that point to just like keep learning about movement. And that was going to be my go-to. That was going to be what I was really interested in.
0: Okay, cool. So awesome. I just kind of wanted that frame to, to frame that a little bit. And I think that's, I think that's amazing that you recognized that though. Like you weren't as connected to like the food and the nutrition and you wanted to put your energy into the, the movement and learning more.
1: Yeah, for sure. And it also, you know, not that I knew that much about movement at that point either, but I felt personally like nutrition was a much bigger thing to be working with people on. So at that point, mm. I, I also had some issues around my own nutrition and my own health and the way I thought about my own health and the way that I perceived my body. Um, and I had some confusion about what it was to be healthy and, and what a healthy diet looks like and how much control is healthy and how much restrictive eating behaviors was healthy and also just like i think in this culture right now we've really normalized restrictive mm. eating eating behaviors and disordered eating behaviors and mm-hmm. and i think that i had normalized a lot of those behaviors in myself so i kind of felt like i came out of that program and this was before i had started the weightlifting and i felt like i had no idea what to eat myself you know mm. like the teachers in that program you know were They were they were promoting a plant based diet, which I was already on, and it was very clear that that was not working for me anymore. And they were promoting a lot of like cleansing and superfoods and all these things that like sounds really great on paper, but then when you actually go into your life and and you start to think about these things, it's like I was feeling like I was not eating like a normal human. And I was having like body image issues. And that was definitely feeding into my eating behaviors. And so I really felt like to be a nutritionist, I needed to kind of be like somebody's counselor and their therapist. And I (laughs) felt like there was so much wrapped up in food. And as like a person in my early 20s, I could recognize right away that like I was not in the position to be giving other people Mm -hmm. a lot of advice.
0: Well, it is. It's a very mental. People people don't understand. Like I think people neglect that aspect of of eating in a diet. It's very mental, and we're very emotionally attached to how we eat and what we eat. Um, I also read your blog your your blog post on that, which was quite powerful. Um, and you touch a little bit on that. Um, jumping back a little bit here, so you decide to take this path towards movement and you mentioned that you come back into your classes and you were still teaching yoga at the time and you're and you're slowly introducing um more movement or just probably different, um, different styles of, of classes. What was that experience in that shift for you like? I'm I feel like I'm currently like there and I know a lot of people who are who are also um trying to incorporate Maybe just a different um just a different style, and they're just learning different things and it can be tricky because people are quite attached to their yoga practices, and I think that a lot of times people might not be as open to like wanting to know about how the body works and why we do this, and like sometimes people just want to come in and take a class and just like shelf it, you know um yeah, yeah. so so what was that experience like for you in making that transition
1: so My experience was, I think, like abnormally positive. Mm. Um, I did not. So I remember like literally the first workshop I did at the gym. uh, It was on a Saturday. It was like Saturday morning. And then my mom came to pick me up and we walked down to the studio together and I had to teach my 230 class. And I remember walking down to the studio that day being like, what the heck? Am I going to teach right Mm -hmm. now? My (laughs) life has been shattered. I've realized my body is so weak. All of these things. I was just like, what the heck am I going to do now? And so I literally went in there and for the first 15 minutes, I taught some of the movements that we had just done in this workshop that I thought were really helpful and simple. And then for the rest of the class, I just did my usual routine. Mm -hmm. And um, people could obviously tell that something was different. But it wasn't like I had made the switch overnight to be like, okay, now I'm teaching strength or now I'm teaching mobility or whatever you want to call it. Um, It was a very slow turnover for me. So, I mean, I taught classes that were like an hour and a half or an hour and 45 minutes long and it took me years Probably it took me five years to get to the point where I'm at now where the majority of my class is not yoga poses. Mm. And like full disclosure, I don't call my class yoga class anymore. So Mm. that's another thing. But um, I found that people were really into it. They were like, oh, wow, these exercises make these poses feel better. Um, I was able to choose things. Like if I was going to teach a vinyasa class that was like building up towards an arm balance, then I chose some strengthening movements that I knew would be helpful for that arm balance. And I think that my students were able to recognize that as well. To be like, oh, these poses are hard for us. Maybe we need a little bit of extra prep work. And so at the beginning, the new stuff I was learning, I just viewed it as like prep. So we'll just you do these different preparations for these yoga poses that everybody wants to do. And then as that evolved, you know, if you teach a class that's an hour long and you've got all your poses that you're going to do, <laughs> as, as soon as you put something new in, something else has got to come out. Uh-huh. And I think that's where teachers are getting, you know, kind of stuck right now because, um, you know, what poses deserve to come out. That's really individual. Mm-hmm. And some people say chaturanga is a bad pose. And, and some people say chaturanga is a good pose. And so it's really up to you to be like, okay, well, which of these poses do I r- really think are still helpful and beneficial, um, and accessible for students? And then which of them are maybe not so much, and you can just get on this bit of a rotation program, and and I think that a, another really important part of this like movement thing is variability. So like most of my workshops focus on strength or mobility or something like that. But also like variation of movement and novel movement, I think is really important because I I don't think that there are bad movements. I don't think that there's bad poses. I think in this community we've demonized a lot of movements and we've demonized poses. And and some poses for sure I think are not very practical and like why would you even do them in the first place? <laughs> but, but the poses that I put in that category are very, very few. Uh-huh. So I think that the problem is not necessarily that we're doing all of these bad poses. I think that we're just doing some poses so frequently and so many repetitions. And I think regardless of what you do, what type of movement you do, when you do something over and over and over and over again, there's always gonna be a risk of some type of repetitive issue. And if you do these things over and over again, especially that you maybe don't have the strength to do, then you really have to be worried about repetitive issues. Regardless of what your, your practice is, you're a runner, you're a weightlifter, whatever. Mhm.
0: And so you were you were super re- well received in what you were offering. What might you say to someone who is currently maybe experiencing a little bit of negative feedback or a little disconnected from their offerings and not having fully made that transition?
1: so i think that a lot of it comes down to the presentation Mm. um most of what i've done over the years has been very well well received however i have taught a retreat once before with my mom and it was not very well received (laughs) people didn't think it was yoga Mm. um which is fine but that's literally just one thing in over the greater scheme of things is very little negative feedback um i think that a lot of it comes down to presentation so when I think that people like yoga class because it makes them feel good. Mm-hmm. I think that people also like yoga class because it's, you know, kind of a more quiet environment. Um, it's a little bit more sensitive. Nobody's going to be yelling at them. I think people, when they visualize yoga, they visualize like a more serene environment. It's clean. They have their own mat. They have their own space. Um, it's like something that they do that's nice for themselves. And also they feel really good. And then they feel really good when they're finished doing it. And I think that we can create that environment and we can create that positive feeling, but without necessarily having to do any specific yoga poses. Like, And this is a bit controversial, I understand. Um, but I don't think that the magic of yoga and the most beneficial parts of yoga really have to do with the specific poses. Um, and I think that it has to do with like the cueing and the sequencing and the way the teacher presents poses. I personally really like the template of a yoga class. I like how it like starts with a warm up, and then it gets a little bit more difficult and then it kind of plateaus at the top. You do a bunch of standing poses and then you start to cool it down and then you have a relaxation session. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really good. Like I think of all the teachers stick with that template um, that template like revs the nervous system up, keeps you going for a little while, makes you feel like you're moving, and then calms the nervous system down. I think we can stick to that template and then start to um, mix and match the movements and the positions. And I think that, at least in my experience, people walk out of the room still feeling like they have done yoga, like like the people that I work with here in Cornwall they don't feel like they're missing your, their yoga practice or like they're coming to see me and I'm like yelling them through pushups for an hour. Um, and it feels like a yoga class, although the movements are more variable. And I think that if teachers can figure out how to do that, then it's going to be much more well received because I, I do think that there are specific reasons that people go to yoga classes. Um, But I think also like if students are not willing to augment the poses or have any level of variability, like if there is that much attachment to the poses, I'm not sure if that still counts as yoga in Mm -hmm. my very honest opinion. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also it's just like, like whose idea of yoga is the right idea because you could go to like 10 different lineages, 10 different studios, and they all have their own idea about it. So I think like it's really hard to pinpoint like this is yoga and this is not yoga. Uh Um, And because it's so hard to pinpoint that, I think that there's room first there's, I think that there's some wiggle room and um, within that wiggle room though, I do think it's important that, even when you're teaching, like say you're going to teach strength movements in the middle of your yoga class, I I really feel that it's important that like the overall energy and tone of the class still feels like a yoga class, so that people don't have to think that you know strength is the opposite of yoga.
0: Mm, I like that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Just kind of weaving it in, making it- weaving it in, yeah. Um, I'd like to touch a little bit on your experience in choosing to leave um, Yoga Detour in pursuit of opening your own facility, or I'm just curious about making that decision and, and choosing to kind of set yourself up the way you are now. Um, maybe what went into making that decision and, and, and how did you feel about that afterwards?
1: Yeah. So Cecily and I had been working together. We'd been practicing together. We were friends for a handful of years. Um, and then I decided to move out of Toronto, like a little bit out of the blue. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I had not thought about it for that long. I had thought about it maybe for like a month or so. And my life, my living situation in Toronto changed. And that was a big part of what kind of like, got me to move away. And, um, I mean, it was a hard decision on the one hand, because I felt like we had a really good thing going and, mm-hmm. and she was in all honesty, the, you know, the only other person. So when I first started doing strength and doing other types of movement, I was still working at downward dog at that point. And, and all of my friends worked at downward dog and they all looked at me pretty much like I was crazy. And mm-hmm. Cecily was the only one who got on board and who was like, Oh, maybe there's something to this. Let's do this together. Let's, let's learn together. And that's how we started doing our thing. Mm -hmm. And so it was, it was a difficult decision um, because I felt like she was the only one who was really like on my side at all of all the yoga friends that I had. But at the same time, um, I think I realized pretty early on that I don't really like, I don't need to work with other people in order to be effective. I've realized that I'm not like, a super duper team player, like the mm-hmm. idea of having a business partner to me, like really freaks me out. Just thinking <laughs> about like, having a business partner just gives me anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I've realized that I would prefer to work alone and just make the decisions that I'm going to make. And I have people I, I have had people who have helped me a lot. Um, you know, my mom has always been an inspiration. Like when I have business decisions that I don't know what to do with, I just phone my mom. <laughs> um, and that was, that was a big part of it. I knew that I wanted to just do whatever I wanted to do. Uh-huh. And, um, and also I was not interested in having any type of long distance relationship with somebody, uh-huh. you know, If you've got like two names that need to be on a check and one person lives four hours away, (laughs) it's much more complicated. And my, my life I think has, and my business has always been more about simplicity. And it just seemed simpler at that time to like do my own thing, um, focus on whatever I wanted to focus on and not, not necessarily like have to consult with somebody else as much, um, but that was really just like me. hmm
0: Yeah. It makes sense, totally. And business, it's it's just a personal thing. And like again, it's I think it's amazing that you were able to recognize that and be like, well, you know, I'm not gonna be apologetic about this is this is what I need in my life and this is how how I would like it, you know, to kind of flow and function. Um, what was that experience like opening up your your gym? Like how long has your gym been open and
1: right. So when I moved to Cornwall, I needed like a job or something to do because at that point I had only had like three months of workshops booked. So, um, I opened up a studio downtown. I rented a little space. I had, um, within the first six weeks of being in that space, I got kicked out of the space because the city (laughs) of Cornwall said that I wasn't zoned properly and blah, blah, blah. It was a huge, (laughs) huge headache, very, very stressful situation. Um, so then I had to find a new space. So then I moved into this other space and within a few months, the same thing happened again. And the city was trying to, to kick me out of my space because I wasn't zoned for place of assembly. And, um, I like, I really had to fight to keep that space. And the studio has changed over the years. So when I moved here, I, I named the studio Cornwall yoga studio and then I realized pretty quickly that, like, I wasn't actually going to be teaching any yoga poses. Yeah. <laughs> so there was a little bit of confusion at first. People were like, is this yoga? <laughs> what is this? What is she doing? Um, but I found the people who, want, who were into it, and it seemed pretty well received. And then I had a really, really busy year and a half which was also why I decided to leave yoga detour because I literally just had like my plate was so full to the brim that I could not put anything else on it. Uh (laughs) So I had a really, really busy year and a half. I was at that point traveling and teaching on the weekends all over the country. And then I would come back on Monday and go right into my studio Uh for a full week of teaching in the studio. And that went on for about a year. And um, at the end of that year, I was just, like, exhausted. So then I scaled back on my teaching at the studio. I, like, cut the schedule in half. Mm -hmm. Um, And then just last – when was it? Maybe six months ago, I did the same thing again. And now I've moved the studio into my house. Um, Last summer, my partner and I bought this huge – beautiful old farmhouse out in the country. It was way too much space. And so I decided at that point, we're gonna like kind of use part of the house for a studio. And then I, I gave up my studio downtown and I no longer had rent or anything like that. So it's super casual. I only teach a few classes a week now. Mm. Um, but the studio went through a lot of transitions. It like considering it was only open for about two and a half years, it went through a lot of different transitions. Mhm. I had no idea. I literally <laughs> had no idea. This is like how I've run my business basically from day 1, which has been good and bad. I'm like, "Oh, I have this idea. Let's just go do this." Mm-hmm. And then 6 months later I'm like, "Oh, I need to reconsider my idea." <laughs> <laughs> and pivot, yeah. <laughs> and pivot a little bit. <laughs> I don't know. I think that's like an effective way
0: to learn though. I mean, sometimes you look back and you're like, ah, probably could have done without making that decision or shifting that around. But honestly, like in my in my experience as well, it's just, you know, you jump in, you learn and then, you know, you, you can change and you can shift things around. Um, so you said you only teach a couple classes a week. What are what are the other offerings? What do they look like your regular schedule?
1: Okay. So yeah, I teach right now. I teach three classes a week. They're pre registered sessions. So I know who's going to show up and I work with them for like a month at a time. Um, and then I teach workshops on weekends and I travel kind of all over the place, um, all over Canada and a little bit in the U S and this year also in Europe teaching workshops and then I have a podcast as well. So, you know, probably one of my days is usually dedicated to podcast recording um, and just all that goes into that. And I have, I think I have probably like three or four private clients right now hmm. who they don't all come every week. Some of them also travel a lot. So whenever they're in town, I'll see them. So, I usually do like two or three privates every week that I'm in town. Um, and then I have this summer coming up, I have two different teachers' intensives that are going to run here in Cornwall. And so, I've been coordinating those as well. And then, I mean, in all honesty, a significant amount of my time is also dedicated to to generating content and like making videos and posting Mm. them online and writing blog posts. And, um, I think that that's, it's been really important for my business. You know, I've really had to dive into social media and figure that out and just figure out how to put out content that's like genuinely helpful for people and gets them, kind of a little bit more interested in what I have to offer, gives them an idea of what it's like. And um, a significant amount of my time also goes into that. So it's pretty, it's pretty varied. Mm -hmm. You know, in the fall, I am bringing on an administrative kind of management person because it's finally getting to the point where I don't think that I can effectively manage it all, all Mm. the time um but it's i mean i've basically gotten until this point like mm-hmm. without a lot of help mm-hmm. <laughs> aside from my technical person yeah which has been cool
0: and how uh sticking on that topic for a moment here how do you effectively remain so connected to your social media and what have you found has been like helpful what has kind of worked in putting together all of those online, because it's honestly like a second job, like to post regularly the way that you do. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's, it's so much work, like so much goes into it.
1: Yeah. So whenever I teach a workshop, I've gotten smarter. Whenever I teach a workshop, whenever, oftentimes, even when I'm teaching my classes here at my house, I'm filming the entire class. Mm. Um, whenever I do my own practice, I usually have 10 minutes at some point in the practice where I'm filming my practice. I'm, and for some people, this is going to sound like a nightmare, Um, (laughs) but it just feels really normal and really natural at this point, which is probably a really like millennial thing to say, but, um, I have found ways to like take classes, take little tidbits of classes and workshops in my own practice and then just turn them into content. Mm -hmm. And so I have like a reservoir on my phone of content um, that is just basically like ready to go at any point. And I usually, I, you know, wake up in the morning, I do my breathing exercises, I have a coffee I do my first social media post of the day and then I might do another one in the afternoon. I might do another one in the evening, but um, it's just, I spend probably, you know, half an hour a day just posting Uh on Facebook and Instagram. And um, it doesn't feel like too much of a chore at this point. You know, if I miss a day, I'm, I'm not too worried about it. Although I try to do something every day, And it just feels like it's helping my business so much and it's helping get the word out so much that it's totally worth it. And I don't really have any like resentful opinions towards social media. Uh Um, but I know that a lot of people are just, they don't want to get into it. And I think that there's a difference between posting stuff on social media and responding to comments and like being interactive with people there's a difference between doing that and then like scrolling through Facebook for two hours because Mm -hmm. you know I will I will catch myself at (laughs) certain points the day being like hey you just scrolled for 20 minutes like what are you doing
0: (laughs) (laughs) enough throws phone
1: (laughs) yeah and I think that that's different from Uh from going in and posting on your own page and then just dealing with the comments and the interactions on your own page and I mean I think that people really appreciate when you're actually responding to them and it just grows the community like we've never been able to grow it before. which uh-huh. is so cool, which means that everybody gets a shot and like you need a cell phone and you need to take some pictures. And if you can do those two things, it's like you have a shot at building a fairly successful business and like to me that's really interesting but I'm so like a Gary Vaynerchuk fan so (laughs) that's where that comes from.
0: amazing and it is true and i always say it's it's about the user it's not necessarily the tool like it's how you're using the tool right like just as you're saying it's not about getting on there and and getting into this scrolling spiral it's like really sh- like share what share what you're sharing and connect in, in a real way and if that's not something that you can do and if it's like hindering you more than it's helping you then cool maybe it's maybe it's not for you maybe it's not your jam um, I want to shift a little bit and talk about something that I haven't actually touched on on the podcast yet, um, and I, I think I'm 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 wanting to touch a little bit on it just because personally I'm I'm experiencing it in my own body and in my own practices. Um, I think that this typical quote unquote yogi sort of body or yoga image um, is very different from a practitioner who is maybe incorporating more strength and more, you know, more weights and and whatever it is, I definitely have noticed a change in my, in my own body and then noticed how attached I was for years, uh, um, attached to this, to this image of, of my body and beginning lean and, and, you know, noticing all, like muscles and sort of, and equating that to strength, which is hilarious because, you know, I'm sure you experienced that as well. Like, cool you look you look strong and you look great but can you can you squat effectively like can you you know pull yourself up can you do a chin up and for me that's been amazing because i'm like well you know physically i'm changing and and that's cool but i'm more interested in how i'm actually moving and how i'm able to effectively move and i think that's so much more important but i also think that again we can become super attached to that physical practice and that sweat and that how we look. Um, I'm curious to know if you experienced that at all and what you might respond to that.
1: Yeah, so this is something that I'm really interested in and I am like very much in the middle of like really deeply figuring out what my opinions on all of these things are because, you know, the, the things that I've been experimenting with have really changed over the last couple of years. I think that, I think that the way yoga is portrayed in the media is very much like the skinny, flexible, kind of strong body who can like do all these whatever shapes and poses. And I think that, you know, this is changing, although it seems to be changing very slowly. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that the Yoga and Body Image Coalition are doing some pretty wonderful things. Like they're making these T-shirts and they say this is what a yogi looks like. Um, and like more and more people are wearing these shirts and like, it's just so interesting to me that that has become a little bit of a revolution. I think that when the body changes, it's really challenging. So my personal experience with this was I started lifting weights and my body started to gain weight and I started to gain weight really quickly. Uh And, um, I have like Italian genetics, (laughs) you know, like if my mom started lifting weights, she would mass up really well. Um, all of my family on my mom's side has like a lot of muscle mass on them. And so it's very easy for me and for my body type to gain muscles. Um, and so when I started lifting weights, like I start, I gained 15 or 20 pounds, like within six months. Mm-hmm. And that was really difficult. So it was really hard on the one hand because my, my body felt bigger and I associated that with bad. Mm-hmm like, Oh, (laughs) hello, like systemic fat phobia and like, Mm -hmm. you know, all of that stuff. Um, but at the same time I was doing all this stuff and I was feeling so empowered in my body that like, Hey, I can like lift almost three, right? Like, this is so freaking cool. (laughs) I was like, who cares what my body looks like? Like, these are all the amazing things that it can do now. And I'm so stoked about that. But at the same time, so I was still teaching at the yoga studio and I was going in to teach my classes. And for some reason, many people felt that it was like appropriate to comment on my body. And mm. I like in this six, first six months period where my body really started to change, I think that almost every time I went in to take to teach a class or to do something, somebody was like, whoa, like your traps are really big now. And it was either like good <laughs> or bad. Oh boy. Right? Like (laughs) as if I needed good or bad feedback about what my body was looking like. As if I'm not like insecure enough as somebody in my early twenties and whatever. I remember being on a retreat one time. Cecily and I were co-teaching a retreat in Nicaragua and um we were having dinner together with this group and one of the women in the group said something like Um, what did she say? She said something like, Well, what does your like boyfriend think about? All this oh, no. how your body's looking, and Cecily just looked at this woman. Cecily's like, so much had my back, and she was like, We don't have the kind of boyfriends that like would care about what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> um, you know, people have opinions about bodies, and they for some reason think it's appropriate to like share those opinions, which baffles <laughs> me. Yes, <laughs> I think that that made it harder for me because I was trying to just be in my own experience and, and not care so much about what my body looked like and just focus on like movement and feeling good. But then I was also getting this feedback from people around me, like where they were basically telling me that they either liked how my body looked or didn't. Uh And I don't think that that's ever helpful. Like it doesn't make me feel good. When I go into a place and somebody's like, oh, you've lost weight. You look so good. Like, that never makes me feel good. Uh-huh. And I think that is just, you know, an indication of greater issues that are happening in our culture. But I think that, you know, the body stuff is so difficult. And so for a long time, I was trying to make peace with all of that and trying to just focus on how I moved better. And now I'm at a point where, you know, like at some point, um, the body is going to start to not move better. I don't know when that's going to happen for me. It still feels like I'm, I'm going up the hill. <laughs> but at some point, there's going to be a plateau. And at some point, the body starts to decline. Like aging happens. And that's fine. Um, and so I think at that point, it's like, what if I just focus not so much on how I look and not so much even on how I move, but like, what if I just focus on like the person that I am Mm -hmm. and the relationships that I'm having. And Mm -hmm. I, I think that when I'm having a, like a rough day, I can tell because I'm getting hung up on my body in some way Mm -hmm. and I'm like, Oh, my practice was really crappy, or oh, I'd love to be able to do these moves that I can't do, or or something like that. And um or be or being obsessive about what I'm eating for mm-hmm. whatever reason. Being like, Oh, I haven't had enough broccoli today, so I'm gonna eat more broccoli. And <laughs> and, and when I notice that, that shows up in my life right now, it really makes me it's like this little I don't know what I'd call it. It's just an indication to me that like something else is going on. And mm-hmm. And at that point, I just try to, like, come back into my body and just, like, take a moment and look at the space around me and, like, look at this beautiful life that I've built and just remind myself that, like, it's all going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's really difficult. And I think that when – I think personally, like, one of the biggest things that we can do to make, like, people around us and our students or our peers – feel comfortable is like a people need representation but also if we just like stopped commenting on everybody's bodies uh-huh. I think that that would be helpful we stopped like saying oh you look so great because you've lost weight or uh-huh. you know what do you eat you look so great so I'm gonna eat that as well <laughs> I think that if we just um yeah that's what I think would be helpful. Mm-hmm. That's one small thing that we can do. Yes. yes. would be helpful. And I think that also like starting to really think about the assumptions we make about other people's bodies and the assumptions we make about someone's body when their body is larger or the assumptions we make when a body is smaller or um, has some type of disability or whatever. Um, if we can start to really question those assumptions and question those biases it's like it gets really interesting and so that's at the point where I'm at now where I'm like I am examining my own biases and I'm being like oh all of these little thoughts that come through my mind um you know to some people like are total microaggressions and like where did that even come from Uh like "Mm -hmm." get to the point where I'm thinking <laughs> things. It's such a it's big, such- yeah,
0: it's a, it's a huge thing. <laughs> and there's so yeah. much. Um, <clears throat> thank you for sharing that. Um, <laughs> and just to wrap up, can you share a quote, um, a passage or phrase, just something that kind of guides you and keeps you going in your journey? Um,
1: Hmm. So Ido Portal, when I worked with him, In Toronto, I remember, and this is very fitting for our conversation, I remember we were after class one day, and he was like, you know, you should really start lifting weights, your body would love it, you have the perfect structure for lifting weights, and I was like, oh no, I don't want to lift weights, and it's going to make my body like bulky, and muscly, and he was like, Catherine, Don't care about how your body looks, care about how your body moves. And Mm. that's probably one of the things that I remember at this stage in my life on a regular basis. Mm,
0: Amazing. Um, and so the following five, I ask all of my guests, the following five are habits to help us all function better and more successfully in our lives. So I'm just going to go through these super quickly. And then maybe just in a word or two, share how you honor these in, in your life. Um, and the first one is something, you know, like drink water, sleep
1: more. Yeah. Whatever. Sleep. Yeah. Sleep. Always sleep in. This right. Is, <laughs> this is my rule. If you have more stuff to do, I don't like to wake up earlier so I can get it all done. I sleep in later, and then I'm more effective. There
0: you go. Uh, the second is
1: authenticity. Oh my goodness. I know. Oh, sleep in again. <laughs> Just own it.
0: You're like, you're like, I'm not a morning person. Cool. Just own it. Yeah. Just own it. The third one is mindfulness.
1: Mindfulness for me right now is like question the assumptions that mm. I'm making.
0: Amazing. Uh, the fourth is practicing trust. And when I say that, I'm speaking to trusting the timing of our opportunities and our journeys and what's going on in our own lives, trusting the timing of it
1: all. hmm I think there's always going to be – enough opportunities that come around and when the opportunities don't come to you really quickly and you see other people around you getting different opportunities, Mm. don't worry about that. And there's always going to be enough work to go around and there's always going to be enough opportunities to come around and everybody hopefully is going to have their
0: turn. Mm. And the last one is growing your tribe.
1: (sighs) Hmm. Post good content Mm. and trust that there will never, that you'll never run out of great ideas. Mm. (laughs) Don't be afraid to post your great ideas because more will come.
0: (laughs) Amazing. And to totally wrap up, based on the notion that the pursuit of yoginess is ultimately the pursuit of the self, can you share one final thing that your own pursuit has revealed to you? and moved you towards self-growth?
1: I think my own pursuit has revealed to me that there's so much to this like human life experience. There's so much even outside of a movement practice and outside of a business practice and to be able to experience all of those things and to like go outside and have new adventures and do things that aren't even necessarily related to like movement or health or business is like, Mm -hmm really exciting like make pancakes on the weekend and <laughs>
0: yes always <whatever. laughs> amazing I love it can you let the listeners know where they can go to connect with you after the show
1: yeah so my website and social media and all of that is Catherine Bruni Young it's k-a-t-h-r-y-n-b-r-u-n-i-y-o-u-n-g and I have a free online course that's available on my website I have other online courses as well And on social media, I'm just always trying to post things that will be helpful for people. And I teach workshops all over the place. So if you want to get in touch, go on my website and you should see it all there.
0: Amazing. And also listen to your podcast.
1: And listen to the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, the the Mindful Strength Podcast, which Uh, is so good. It's getting really good now.
0: (laughs) It's it's getting good. I love that. (laughs) Amazing. Well,
1: thank you so much for
0: taking this time to chat with me today. It's been amazing. Mm-hmm. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Take care, Catherine. And that wraps up another amazing episode with Catherine. Thank you guys so much for being here and for joining the conversation. For all of the show notes or links to connect with Catherine or myself further, head on over to pursuitofyoginess.com You can check out a breakdown of today's episode as well as all previous episodes, and there content. If you have not already leave the show, a rating and review on iTunes. And last but not least, our cardish product of the week is the simply organic Madagascar vanilla extract. I've been using the non-alcoholic version. So why is this product amazing? It has no added cane sugar, no corn syrup, no artificial flavorings or colorings. Um, it is vegan GMO certified organic yeast free, all that good stuff. So I have been putting a couple of drops in my coffee. Some mornings it just adds a little flavor, changes it up a little bit. And you can also obviously use this in any of your baking. So unfortunately, a lot of the uh, vanilla extracts out there are super artificial, filled with all these dyes, colorings, and all these random ingredients that we don't necessarily need or want to be ingesting. So this is a nice, safe product, comes in a cute little bottle. It'll last you, all you need is a couple of drops, and it just kicks up the flavor, adds a little sweetness, and you're good to go for your chance to win this product along with three other products as part of our May Bundle, you can head over to pursuitofyoginess.com and the link to enter will be right below. Um, And I think that's it as well. You can check out our social media um, as I did actually just announce the Cardish Bundle winner from our last four products. So the lucky winner will and get that sweet bundle of goodies. Um, and you can check out the social media for that. All right. I think that's it for me guys. Uh, cool. Stay tuned as we continue the pursuit of yoginess.